Hi everyone and welcome back to A Culture Story. Today, my guest is Jonathan. In listening back to this recording, I think I would title this episode, Culture, Conflict, and Negotiation. In this intro, I'm diving deep into some cultural frameworks, so buckle up. Namely, I'm looking at how cultural orientations can be placed on a continuum. And it's important to remember that no culture or person falls neatly into one side or the other on the continuum. There's simply various gradations. So in this conversation, Jonathan and I center around the intercultural concept of individual orientation versus group orientation. Fundamentally, this concept is about looking at what takes priority in a given situation, the individual or the group. And it also looks at, do you derive your identity from self and what you do, or do you derive your identity from group and its affiliation? If you are more individual oriented, culturally speaking, you tend to derive your identity from self. In other words, from your own personal choices and achievements. Independence and self-reliance are greatly valued and stressed on this side of the individual versus group orientation continuum. And at the country level, we tend to see that the U.S. is more individualistic and our idioms and expressions even reflect this, like put your nose to the grindstone, just do it, don't just stand there, do something. Individual orientation can show up like recognizing individualistic goals and efforts, taking care of yourself and your immediate family, and there's also a high drive for achievement. Now, in contrast, on the other side of the continuum, if you are more group-oriented, culturally speaking, you tend to derive your identity as a function of your membership or role in a group, which could be the family system or a work team. The survival and success of the group ensures the well-being of the individual so that by considering the needs and feelings of others, one protects oneself. At the country level, we see that some Middle Eastern countries and African countries tend to be more group-oriented than individual-oriented. Idioms like the nail that sticks up feels the hammer first and the buck stops here are more collectivistic in nature. Group orientation can show up like you might not agree in a situation, but your personal preferences defer to group preferences in order to maintain group harmony. Feeling a strong sense of belonging, togetherness, interconnectedness, and dependability are valued and stressed in this orientation. Now, one orientation is not better than the other, but it can seem that way if we look at some of the misperceptions. So for example, individual orientation can be misunderstood as selfish, winners and losers, assertiveness, transactional preferring task over relationship, and competitiveness. Now group orientation can be misunderstood as conformity or the harmony of the group can be viewed as passive aggressive or not dealing with something. Since the group members in group orientation are relatively close psychologically and emotionally, they're distant towards non-group members. So it can have an in-group versus out-group orientation. So why is this important? Let's see how Jonathan unpacks this orientation in his story. Listen in. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for being on this episode today. Thank you. Hello. How are you doing? 
I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking. So Jonathan, what would you like listeners to know about you? Yeah. So uh, I guess the easiest thing about me is uh, I am a quote unquote third culture kid. Um, But so I am American. I was uh, born to American parents, but I lived in Nigeria, West Africa for the first half of my life. And then when we moved back to the U.S., my parents adopted my two siblings from Ethiopia. So there's that blend. And then my wife is from Kenya and I've been to Africa a bunch of times. So I like to say like I'm a mix of American and then just transcontinental Africa, essentially. So uh, those are the um, the culture blends, I guess, that I'm most familiar with. But I just definitely love traveling and the world and experiencing everything, I guess. would be Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Jonathan and I know each other from his own podcast, uh, TCK Tales, and definitely go check it out. It is amazing to hear his guest stories of their third culture kid experiences. He draws out a lot of unique details and is just an amazing, amazing podcast host. So you're an inspiration to me. Thank you. Thank you. That's nice. It's always nice when people say nice things about you. <laughs> but it, yeah, and it's so true. Like, I, I, Jonathan, you, um, you carry a conversation well, and I think that's a huge skill on a podcast to keep it moving forward and drawing out Thank details. You. So um, goals for me, goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jonathan, what story would you like to share with us today? Yeah, so uh, a little bit of background on this story. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, my wife is a Kenyan national. And so going in- into our relationship and dating and marriage and things, I always kind of felt like the whole culture of being in a biracial and bicultural marriage wouldn't necessarily be as much of a factor because I felt like, oh, I've experienced African culture. It's like perfect. It's familiar. And that was one of the things that drew me to her. But uh, I realized that wasn't necessarily the case. We were engaged and talking just about future and life and everything like that. And she was sharing me with me like hopes and dreams and like dream house and all of that stuff. And then she was like, yeah. And then we'll have like a segment of the house for my mom and then for my dad and for your parents. And I was just kind of like, wait, 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 wait. You mean like, I bet she's like, oh yeah, no. But like, as soon as we get a house, like everything will be there. I was like, no, uh, like they don't have to live with us. She goes, I know they don't have to, but like it's cultural. I was like, and it's cultural. And we kind of got into this big, like not necessarily fight, but discussion about our future and family responsibilities and everything like that. And then it was in that moment that I realized I was like, oh, I'm a lot more American than I realized. Cause like my idea, her idea has always been um, become successful and have enough to then be able to provide for your family in like some sort of live-in sense. So she always kind of assumed that her she'd bring her mom up from Kenya and maybe her dad or her dad could come live with us or like provide a place for my parents or something like that. And I was just always on the assumption like my parents and my parents' parents and everything like that, which is just, just live and then you go visit grandma and grandpa eventually. And this concept is also like growing up, my parents went to Africa and my grandparents were still here so like growing up I've never lived in proximity with my grandparents and all of that and so we had been talking for a majority of our relationship about 
futures and everything like that, but we've been having two completely different conversations about how that was going to look. And that just kind of came to fruition in that conversation. And yeah, that's when I kind of was, had to like start mentally checking, like, oh, is this me being Americanized or is this being, is this her being Africanized? And I've noticed a lot more differences since then with her family and spending time. And I've just realized I'm a lot less African than I initially expected. And that was like the initial conversation that brought me into that. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Mm, yeah, Jonathan, that's interesting. And why did you choose to share this story today? Yeah, uh, I think uh, when you first uh, messaged me and sent me um, everything, I was trying to think of a uh, cross-cultural cross story. And this came to my mind mostly just because I don't think we realize how much culture affects us in like our upbringing and what we and what our expectations are. I know I didn't up to that point. Like I figured it would be super easy. And I even like in that assumption overlooked specific details and real and had to realize, like I said, we were having two completely different conversations, but we both just assumed that the other person got it. And then therefore was there was no real clarification about that. And I think that can happen in a cross-cultural setting, but also in a monocultural setting as well, just because different families have different upbringings and different thoughts and different ideas. And if you're in any sort of relationship, be it a romantic one or a friendship one or a platonic, platonic, yeah, platonic one or something like that, uh, some of those like un understood cultural values may not be shared. And um, it's especially true, I think, within third culture kids, because I think there can be a pride of like, oh, I get this. I've traveled. I've been there. But even within that, there's like an aspect of your other culture that you may not realize that has very much influenced who you are and what you're like. For me, I knew family was important. I understood that cultural thing within Africa, but I just, I guess, never translated it into me and myself and who I am and my future family and things like that because of what had been modeled for me by my American parents and vice versa. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things there I want to respond to, but um, mostly it's this idea of individualistic versus collectivistic. And mm -hmm. yeah, that you were definitely negotiating that. And I'm curious, growing up, did you see or did you experience more of the collectivistic cultures? Um. Yeah, I would, I would say so, uh, especially like, you know, everyone is very much like, it, so yes and no, I would say. So yes, in the sense that like, a lot of my parents' friends and my parents' coworkers were definitely considered family. And there's that very much, uh, they were all my aunties and my uncles. And even to this day, like um, anybody from Africa, I still refer to them as auntie and uncle. And my, even my um, other TCK friends will refer to my parents as auntie or uncle as well but no in the sense of we were alone like extended family wise there we were very much individualistic and we still kind of are in the sense of like because of the fact that my parents left and moved to africa and my parents family is here my parents are from two different sides of the country and so uh, even now i've probably experienced more familial collectivism actually here in the u.s than I necessarily did, um, just even from other people and stuff, because I wasn't at, like, a lot of my friends in Nigeria 
were American who were in the same sort of predicament. Whereas like here in the US, I have friends whose grandparents and great grandparents and great great grandparents have all lived in the same house and they all get together in big family dinners. And there's a lot more of that familial collectivism, but here, but yeah, I've also since college thought a lot about this idea of individualism within the US and how I guess pervasive it is throughout everything, even to the sense of the way that the US was founded institutionally is very much like we're individual states that are loosely connected. And the way that all of our governments are set up and everything is just this ideal of you are one specific person and you don't really have a collective identity, period. And that gets traced down into a lot of different things um, and spreads across the country. It's almost like indebted in the identity of natural born Americans to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm over here nodding my head. <laughs> I can totally um, agree with that and see that there's this value of self-reliance even. And I think when we pair that with third culture kid experiences and profiles, sometimes even in universities when TCKs come, when there's this idea of self-reliance, there might be this tension of, well, I grew up when everybody helps each other, or that is, you know, very collectivistic and sharing of, of things, of belongings, of ideas. And I think that's one of the understated cultural values we don't talk a lot about in the TCK profile of um, this, it might be a culture shock. And is it like, it's interesting also just like looking back at, um, like my college experience and you had, um, yeah, just the, the way that like the international and TCK community even like responded to each other versus the way that, um, cause I went to a small Christian college. And so there was a lot of like commute quote unquote forced community. It wasn't necessarily first forced, but it was heavily encouraged amongst like your dormitories and things like that. But it was two very different types of community. And there was a lot more uh, sharing and camaraderie, I felt at least within the international community than necessarily the other community. Cause it was still very much like, like you said, that view of um, individualism within your said community versus there was a less of that. There were still individualistic countries, but it was, shared better because they had I guess there was I always thought maybe it was because of a uniting experience of everyone being so much foreign to the U.S. but also I think it's just that shared communal cultural value then because there's a, like you have a lot more family style meals and just general sharing a lot more like doing stuff for the community than you necessarily would within the dorm community as um and or like getting together felt a lot more natural than it was like, oh, these are the people I live with. I guess I will spend time with them. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see I, very poignant, like what you're saying, very poignantly um, within my college experience, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speak a little bit now about where you're at um, now in your story. Um, and even if we want to continue this thread of community, how has that played out post-college? Yeah, uh, so it's it's been a little difficult um, for both me and my wife in that regard. So 
I, after graduation, I moved away from my college and back home. We got married and everything. And then uh, she graduated and she got a job and we actually moved to a different city, which was sort of our intention because we didn't, we both agreed that we didn't want to live in the hometown that we were at. There was just, um, we didn't want to be those people who stayed in that very, very small town and complain, always talked about leaving and it was just very small and insular. But at the same time, uh, we also moved to an area where we didn't really have a community at all. Um, my strong, my community, which was still pretty strong, but it's very much in Chicago, which is where I went to school. And like, we'll go back and I'll feel a draw to move there, but not necessarily because I love the city as much, because I definitely love where we are living, but because it's nice to have those people within. And I just see all my friends still getting together and spending time together and all the things and very much want to be a part of that. And she is the same way with like, she had a very strong school community and they all kind of scattered across, across the US to where they were getting jobs. And uh, so that's been really hard for us in this time is trying to figure out how to find a place of community with all of our like close friends and being everywhere and moving to a new city with new places. And then, you know, there's a pandemic and people, <laughs> you can't really leave your house. And so that makes uh, building relationships harder. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we've probably been more intentional about staying in touch with people who are semi closer to us than we would have been previous. And so like, I will drive two hours to, so I'm in Cleveland. So I will drive two hours to Columbus to spend time with a friend of mine from high school and his fiance, uh, then I maybe necessarily probably wouldn't have as much if we were still living a little bit closer together or um, if I was still in Chicago or I've made more efforts to with specific friends who are still here as as a result it's just on a weekly basis it's pretty much just her and I and then our family which we are also make have been making much more of an effort to be with and spend time with um, as a result of all of this so yeah, that's kind of where we are. But as far as like future goes, we have both kind of agreed on at least one of our families will be probably living with us at some point. We'll kind of let that happen. But that's been a that's been a goal that we've been unified on. So that aspect of it has been resolved. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was wondering about the conclusion of that conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> about where where you landed. Um, I remember in some of the places I lived, there were be there would be. Um, just different layers to the house and like a new when a new family was was married within the family they would build onto the house and it would be a new mm -hmm. floor and then, then a new floor or you know some of my friends would say oh right my aunts and uncles live in the same apartment building and so essentially you know that's that's family living so yeah We've seen a couple um, just in our walks here, just like private driveways. And uh, my wife has commented like, how great would that be if like, it's like private driveways, but it's like small communities within that. Like there's three or four houses within this driveway. She's like, how great would it be if like everyone from our family just, we like had just one like small private driveway with like all the mailboxes there, but then we each had our own separate houses. And so basically we just become the HOA as a family, <laughs> essentially. Uh, <laughs> and every feel? time we pass it. How do you feel about that? <laughs> that's uh, that's probably more preferable to my in-laws living in our guest room. So I would say yes. <laughs> uh, but 
yeah just every time we comment and then even her her dad and her uh stepmom will even make comments about that as well like oh you guys should move closer to us or we should move up to you guys or you guys the house is opening right next door you should move and it's funny but yeah yeah there's uh it, you know it is it's a cultural conversation it's a cultural conversation about how close to live with family or who to spend holidays with and um, it's definitely for me, I, I do live currently with my family and there's even perceptions of extended family about, you know, does that compromise your independence or mm -hmm. your autonomy as an adult? And no, this is quite normal for the way we have our values for, um, for this time and this season in life. And there's no yeah. shame. So, yeah, I think, I think it's only ever weird in America as opposed to yes. like other places. But because we have this idea of like you turn 18, then you move 50 miles away from your family and you just never see them again, where it's like, no, it's it's not like that anywhere else in the world. So. Exactly, yes, I completely agree. So <laughs> with all those, those uh, articles about millennials returning home, it's actually the only big case in the US. <laughs> exactly. They're not weird. They're just being more normal. So, Jonathan, thank you for sharing your stories. Thanks for unpacking some of this with me today. And I conclude each episode with a rapid fire questioning with some prompts. So I'd love for you to fill in the blanks. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Culture is? Who you are. One thing everyone should pack in their suitcases. Socks. One of my favorite movies or books is? The Prestige, one of Christopher Nolan's earlier movies, uh, fantastic intellectual movie. The movie is a magic trick. It's fantastic. Anyway, mm, that's okay. All. Home is who you love. Story is your life. Yeah. Go with that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate your time. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Culture, conflict, negotiation, context, and communication are all intimately interrelated. How you handle negotiation and conflict is culturally learned. In some group-oriented cultures, you keep a lid on conflict in order to keep group harmony, and you don't know there is a problem until there is an explosion of emotion. At this point of eruption, the negotiation begins. But individual-oriented cultures may see this as the end of the relationship, and then group-oriented cultures question the sincerity of the relationship in the first place. Individual-oriented cultures will have steps to show your anger and conflict. In other words, you verbalize your upset. So negotiation and conflict is sometimes difficult to know if there is one and when it may be escalating or de-escalating. What could be perceived as a genuine conflict in one culture may be just lively disagreement in another. So in conclusion, one of the morals of this story is Realize that even if you have the same value, it can show up and manifest in different ways. 
I leave you with a quote from the workbook I co-wrote with Priya Jindal on how young adults can live under the same roof as their parents. We wrote, it's important to gain self-awareness about personal preferences when it comes to being led and leading. Gaining the understanding of self and others under the same roof can be a starting point for not eliminating differences of preferences, but rather bridging them. Ultimately, young adults need the space and grace to emerge as self-directed leaders as they shape their behavior based on their personal core values, your family's values, and cultural values. Thank you for listening to A Culture Story today. Thank you.